Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full by clicking the link in the show notes of this episode. It's that simple. So if you're the kind of person who'd like a new mixtape each Monday, you should probably subscribe to this podcast. But that's enough of the hard sell. Let's talk about music. This week's guest is a stand-up comedian who's featured in TV shows, done numerous runs at the Edinburgh Fringe, and recently featured on BBC's Live at the Apollo. But he's also the stand-up comedian who was headlining the first time I ever did a spot at a pro club. And although he didn't have to be, he was supportive, encouraging, and made me feel welcome in a green room that I was pretty intimidated by. This is Paul McCaffrey. How you doing, mate? You all right? I'm good, man. Yeah, bored out of my head as long as the, the rest of the world, but uh, getting through it, just keeping smiling. You yeah, good? Just, just for context, if you're listening out of time, we are still yeah. in the throes of the COVID-19 lockdown. So we've all been grounded and sent to our rooms and comedians like me and Paul have to find other ways to show... I don't think we need to explain the uh, the COVID lockdown. <laughs> I, think everyone is, uh, I don't think anyone's going to be hearing this before the lockdown. Well, you never know. Yeah, but pe- people listen to podcasts at different points in time, don't they? They could be listening a year from now and thinking, no, what's he talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't think people are going to have forgotten this in a year, but anyway. Uh, um, so we know each other from the stand-up circuit. Yeah. Uh, you, you were actually on at the Glee Club in Birmingham the first time I ever played it uh, yes. at Comedy Carousel. Um, yeah. And you were dead friendly, really encouraging. Um, oh. And... And weirdly, the the last time I did Carousel, you were also on then as well, which was weirdly synchronistic. Yes. Um, and so obviously, you were uh, going at things full pelt. Um, just had your live at the Apollo appearance air not long ago. Yeah. Uh, and then the world fucking stopped. I know, typical. Can only happen to me. <laughs> it's all about you, man. Just trying to get a little bit of momentum going, and uh, yeah, it's all right. Rich, Rich Wilson said exactly the same thing. He was, you know, he's just like, oh, it was all, it was all just there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, um, there we go. But, the sun will shine again. Exactly. But the it, one th- it, if anyone looks at Paul's social media, it will become abundantly clear that you are a massive music fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of like. My first love, really, I would say. You know, love comedy, but music is kind of my thing, I'd say, more than anything else. Um, yeah, been into music since uh, since I can remember. My mum was into the Beatles. I, I, I named, my mum used to love Paul McCartney, hence Paul McCaffrey. That's kind of where that came from. And I can remember listening to the Beatles kind of from, from, from the year ago, really. So that's kind of always been, started buying records when I was probably about 10 or 11 and have been going to sort of watch bands since the first band I ever saw was The Wonder Stuff when I was 14. So I'm amazing. Yeah, and I've been sort of, you know, uh, uh, avid and rampant, uh, if, if, if that's a word you can use to describe gig going. But yeah, I've been going to watch bands ever since. Um, it is a lifelong thing that uh, obviously at the moment there's a, a, an enforced hiatus, but, um, you know, as long as I'm alive, I think I'll be going to watch bands. Amazing. So who's your first track by? So my first track is by James. 
uh, and it's a bit of an interesting one because kind of when you sort of uh, you know got in touch and said about um, 10, 10 favourite tracks I can't, it's just, I, I can't think about that obviously that's been happening quite a lot in lockdown as well anyone who's listening in the future will have to remember that but when people were sort of um, saying list your five favourite Oasis tracks your five favourite albums yeah. and it's such a big ask so kind of what I've gone for is a slightly more potted history uh, you know musical history um, of my life in music as it were and James is an odd one for me because they're now they're, you can make a strong argument for them being my favourite band um, you know if not my favourite, certainly one of them. Seen them loads recently, but they completely passed me by at the time. I, you know, like everyone else, I sort of knew, sit down, saw them at festivals. I was kind of more into dance music at that time, I guess. But um, yeah, I was just like, oh, they're James. And then I don't know when it was, maybe sort of 15, 20 years ago I got their best of I don't know when that came out but whenever it came out and I'll tell you what it is one of the best best ofs I don't know if you're a fan but well, like, they're, they're, an, they're a band that you're aware of because they're, yeah. they're kind of for, for the last 30 years or so they, they've kind of been omnipresent on the sort of indie kind of scene yeah and when you look at it and it sounds like you have the same sort of uh realization that I did is when you look at it and you listen to like, like a best of album it's like oh they've got so many amazing tunes oh, that, that you recognize maybe without even realizing it was them 100% and it's so great to sort of like then discover a band and then start listening back and oh my god these albums are brilliant and like live they're just so good so um, they've become a, a real, real favourite of mine, and they're, they're still releasing brilliant albums. Their last three albums have all been great. Particularly, they did one called Le Petit Mort, which is a kind of concept album about death, which was sort of written around uh, the time of Tim Booth, the singer's, uh, the, the death, the passing of his mother. Right. Um, Le Petit Mort, I believe, um, is uh, the little death, which I think is an orgasm reference i could be wrong but i don't know but it's kind of like it's got a sort of a slightly mexican you know that they have the um day of the dead in mexico where they kind of send it's kind of more celebrated i think death uh, culturally in mexico than it is over here i don't know how i'm ended up coming out with this stuff i didn't even know this was in here but um but yes it's kind of like the 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 imagery that they use the cover is kind of got one of those kind of mexican skulls and um there's this slight Mexican theme running through it. It's a brilliant album. This, however, is not from that. Um, this song um, is, I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Lyrically, musically, it is a fantastic song. Um, and it's sometimes. He says, listen, takes my head, puts my ear to his. And I swear I can hear the sea. So, moving on from James, who's your next track by? Okay, so my next track is by Oasis. Um, would have been impossible to leave them out. Such a huge part of my kind of uh, young adulthood, I would say. Um, kind of 21, uh, 20 to 21, you know. Uh, they just, they were the band I was waiting for, really. My dad was a mod and kind of had seen The Who a lot and... You, you know, I'd sort of had some bands that I was really into as a 
younger kid. And then Acid House happened, so I kind of was going to raves and stuff like that. I'd always been slightly kind of gutted that I'd not been part of something like punk or, or um, um, you know, mods, a kind of more well-defined youth culture. Actually, looking back, you know, Acid House was that for me. I was probably a little bit young for it, really. I kind of was six, well, more like 14, I suppose, when it really started kicking off. But I kind of went to raise in 1990 when I was 16 and, and, and onwards. But there was no band for me, really, that had kind of come along. And, and obviously, they just changed the way everyone dressed. Um, they kind of... I mean, it's... Unless you were of a certain age, it's impossible to kind of overstate how big an impact Oasis had. Like, it, it, I, I, friends of mine that were into hip-hop, that were into sort of house music, that were into indie, everyone pretty much you know there was the odd exception in my friendship group but it kind of oasis was the band that came along and it was a bit of a year zero moment everyone started wearing different clothes everyone's sort of hair was different it was uh they were massive and particularly the summer of 95 i can remember when i went to glastonbury which was uh it's probably the glastonbury that stands out the most in my memory it was like hot the whole way through there was loads of my mates there the lineup was incredible. It just, and it was one of those, I think it was one of those summers that just, it started, the, the, the weather started in April, the nice weather, and just continued through till September. Um, and it just felt like when you were walking around Glastonbury between the stages at that time, this song and whatever were just blasting out of every sound system. You know, they've got the food stalls and kind of clothes stalls and stuff. It was just kind of omnipresent. Wherever you went, you would hear one of these tunes. and. I was lucky, I went to Main Road, I went to Nedworth. I saw them so many times, but those kind of seminal gigs. And um, they were just, I was utterly obsessed with them for a couple of years, you know. Um, I don't listen to them anywhere near as much as I used to now. Um, you know, I do, I'll occasionally be in the mood for it. So if I'm gonna watch football or something, I might stack one of their albums on beforehand to get myself yeah. in the mood, but. You know, at that time, I just devoured any kind of... Every time they're in the paper, I'd buy the paper to read it. Every time they're on the cover of NME, you know, it was... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've said this before, I was like Stan in Eminem. I was just like, I was like absolutely, yeah, absolutely yeah. obsessed with them. And to me, this is this is their defining moment, really. This is because, they, you know, obviously Noel came out, he was, he was going to the Hacienda all the time, and this was kind of like the guitar tune for the Acid House generation, as it's been said before, I'm not saying anything original there, but um, it's an absolute classic, um, and it is. It, it, it's kind of a statement of intent, really. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's huge. Um, it's, 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 a mar it's an absolute masterpiece. Soul of its time. And, you know, like any great song, it still sounds exactly the same as it did the first time I heard it. And I'll probably say that, you know, about a few other tracks um, through this podcast, but this one in particular, you know, it's it's like a portal to that time. You listen to it and you are transported back to the first moment you hear it. And if you can write a song that can do that, you've, you've done something incredible, in my opinion. So this is? This is Live Forever.
So that's Oasis. Bit of a left turn here. Yeah. Um, now, who's this next track by? Um, well, this is a track by uh, Sabres of Paradise, which was a three-piece uh, electronic, uh, I guess you'd call them dance music. I don't know really how you'd sort of label them, but it was uh, a project which was Jags Cooner, Gary Burns, and the recently departed Andrew Weatherall, who is another huge um, figure in my kind of musical um journey if you if you want to use that word you know he was someone he he produced scream what well, a lot of screamadelica by primal scream um he has remixed kind of so many different uh records over the years sort of famously uh a track called um only oh it's a cover of a neil young song uh, neil young song only love will break can break your heart by sentetti and he's run various clubs he's been kind of he's been everywhere and everything um, in um, sort of that kind of music. Dub, um, kind of Balearic, sort of techno, electro. He, he, he's run some famous nights in London. He used to run a night called Sabre Sonic, which I went to when I was about 18, which was at a place called Happy Jacks um, in South London, sort of Vauxhall area. Um, and yeah, again, he was. it's impossible to sort of put into words, really, how much of a big part of... I mean, I've seen him DJ. He was recently running a festival over in France in a castle called uh, Convenenza at Carcassonne in France, right. which had tickets to go to this September. He passed away, unfortunately, um, was it February or March? I can't remember. It might have been the end of February. It's difficult to remember what's gone on time-wise. Like, I was... I was listening to your mixtape last night while I was cooking, and then this tune came on. I went, this strikes me as a bit of a come down track. It's very mellow, very chilled. Uh, and I thought, like, oh, I wonder if I can say that. Like, I wonder if that's a bit presumptuous. And then I was scrolling through your Instagram, and one of your old show posters came up, and it said, pills and thrills and belly laughs. And I went, now he's getting yeah. talking about this. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, it's not. Well, it was. Uh... I mean, it kind of taps into a period of my life, which I would say was kind of, for me, my heyday, which was sort of 95 to about 98, which I was living in London. I'd just kind of moved there, um, working in a bar, and there was a there was kind of what you... I don't really know if you get it so much anymore. I'm guessing you do do, but they had what was sort of like DJ bars, which were kind of bars. Quite a lot of them were in North London, where there was like deck set up in the corner, a kind of small dance floor. It was like the embassy bar. I actually ended up working in, I'm running one uh, in Islington called the Islington Bar. Um, and then Fabric was just opening and there was a place called The Cross and Bagley's um, that, uh, just off York Way and King's Cross. Then there was a night called The Heavenly Social, which was run by Heavenly Records, where the Chemical Brothers used to be the resident DJs and Andrew Weverell used to play there all the time. I wish I could specifically remember more about that period, but it was a, just a total blur. And it was an amazing, you know, Britpop was happening, Blur was sort of, you know, always around at parties and stuff like that. The social in particular, you go there on a Saturday night, it started off at the Albany, where you may have done a comedy gig, they run comedy gigs there now, it's a basement there. Then it briefly moved to a place called Smithfields, um, which is on uh, Farringdon Road. And then it was at Turnmills for a long, long time. Well, 
relatively speaking, maybe a few years, but um, it was like walking through NME. You'd go in there, there'd be Bobby Gillespie, Tim Burgess, just everyone like, it was it was brilliant. And yeah, so, and then there was obviously the after hours stuff. And you're right, this was a sort of definitely a tune that you'd sort of stick on when you got back to someone's house and were talking nonsense till say six o'clock in the morning that would have been an early night six o'clock the following evening in some cases but um but yeah it's brilliant and he'll be hugely missed um he's the sort of person you will be familiar with his stuff even if you don't if you if you've never heard his name before he's such a massive he's remixed noel gallagher recently um weller madness i mean you know pretty much you name it he's been sort of uh, asked to do a remix for them and he's incredible incredible man all right but this track is smoke belch 2 by the savers of paradise Your next track, who's this by? It's by a band called Hawkwind. Now, Hawkwind are sort of like an old, they started in like the late 60s, kind of hippie, proto-punk band. A lot of punk bands cite them as a big influence. I know Johnny Rotten was a massive uh, Hawkwind fan. Um, actually saw the Sex Pistols when they reformed in Crystal Palace and he covered one of their tracks, Silver Machine, which is the track that most people would probably know of Hawkwind. Yeah. It's a bit of a sort of, they play it on classic rock stations or whatever, but I kind of got to know them and they were a bit, very big on what was called the Free Festival circuit. Um, when I was sort of 14, 15, it was sort of like the New Age Travellers were around and they used to put on these illegal festivals. Right. Um, you know, they'd just be driving around and buses and kind of living in caravans and stuff like that and they'd have a festival every year at Stonehenge but that got stopped in 1985 but um these were a big they were big free festival band they played what you would call space rock again quite druggy music for people sort of smoking. prog rock kind of vibes kind of prog rock but a bit not prog rock I always sort of think of been as a little bit more kind of I don't know this had a bit more edge than prog rock, yeah. I would say. They were a kind of real outsiders band, kind of gang of misfits. Lemmy was in them before Motorhead. I, I, I watched the Lemmy documentary last night. Oh, um, so good. Yeah, it kind of kind of in preparation for this because I knew he kind of started off. Uh, well, he, he kind of started off in Hopfin, but he actually went further back with the with other things. I just, but I just wanted to like know more about that connection and uh, yeah. Dead so the name. Motorhead came from a Hawkwind song, Motorhead. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of stories about him getting arrested on tour buses in Canada with in possession of sort of amphetamine. They played at the um, Isle of Wight Festival in 1970, the, the famous Isle of Wight Festival. And they played in a um, tent outside the actual main festival, which was a very Hawkwind thing to do. So there was like a, someone that had erected this tent. And uh, legend has it that the orange juice backstage had been spiked with acid. There was a member of the band called Hugh Lloyd Langton, who's my favourite. He's dead now, unfortunately, but he was my kind of favourite member. And he wasn't as druggy as the rest of them, but had sort of partaken in some of this orange juice. And apparently this tent was like a kind of inflatable tent. And it started sort of coming, like deflating. 
And um, he said, like, where he'd had this sort of orange juice, he thought that they were descending into the into the gates of hell. So, so yeah, they're, they're not for the faint-hearted. They sort of play these kind of gigs at the Roundhouse where everyone would be tripping and they'd be sort of uh, experimenting with frequencies that apparently could make you shit yourself and stuff like this. You know, so, kind of. You know, there are there are points in Hawkwind tracks that get very intense. Yeah, yeah because there's so many sort of textural layers that are just kind of emanating and fluctuating. Um, it's not it's not your standard sort of uh, verse chorus setup in a lot of the material. No, absolutely not, no. I mean, some of it's not that kind of, yeah. Some of it's a bit more of a challenging listen. Some of it's kind of a bit more accessible and I don't know if I'd go as far as to say as poppy, but certainly, I mean, I, of all the bands that I've loved, they are the band of whom uh, I own the most vinyl. I've got a fairly comprehensive collection of uh, Hawkwind records and uh, still going now, celebrated their fifth. Oh, this is so annoying that it was their 50th anniversary last year. And I kind of ummed and ahed with a, another friend of mine about going to see them in Guildford. Um, and uh, for, for whatever reason, I think I picked up a gig, didn't go. Eric Clapton did nine songs with them that night because Dave Rock, the kind of main guy from Hawkwind, um, started out with Eric Clapton. They used to bus together in Notting Hill, right. Lab Grove, and uh, they've remained friends. So Eric Clapton uh, yeah, came on and did nine songs with them, which I'm absolutely heartbroken to have missed. But they're a brilliant band. If you don't know them, check them out. We've got all sorts of uh, compilations and uh, bits and pieces out there. And this uh, is uh, the song of theirs called Spirit of the Age. So following on from Hawkwind, who's next? Yeah. Next up, we have a uh, slight departure-ish. Again, quite an a, outsider sort of band, I guess. Um, and uh, the band is Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um, who, I guess really for me, so this would have been the last year of me being at primary school. I'm old, I'm 45. So, um, well, uh, relatively speaking, I'm old. God, I've used re relatively speaking a lot during this. Um, the... Uh, but they were the first band who I started to collect, actually. Okay. Um, they had a single that kind of, there was quite a bit of controversy around called Relax, that I'm sure you'll know, um, which was uh, banned from being played on Radio 1. They wouldn't show the video. And it was that kind of thing. I don't know if it was directly as a result of that, but it, it became number one. Yeah after it got banned from them playing it on Radio 1, you know, it's sort of that, there's no such thing as bad publicity or whatever. It's, oh my God, this album's an outrage. And then obviously people went out and bought it. I remember going to Woolworths um, and buying it on 7-inch. Um, and they did loads of, they did, then they had Two Tribes, I believe was the next single. So they released four singles off the album, which is a classic album. Um, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Um, and they, yes, yeah, so they, they released Relax Then Two Tribes, which had the video of Gorbachev and um, Ronald Reagan wrestling. I don't know if you've ever seen that video. It was yeah. the look and lights. And again, it was all sort of quite shocking. Um, and then the, sing, the, 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 the kind of single with the name of the album, um, there's a word for that which alludes me now. I'm brain dead. One of us. Yes, there we go. Um, and uh, I'm. Uh, welcome to the Pleasure Dome. 
which is a, a fantastic track, sort of loads of kind of weird kind of jungle noises and um, yeah, this song, it's weird. It's kind of a bit like, you know when they sort of have those arguments every year, it's like, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas film? You know that thing? I always kind of associate this song with Christmas. I mean, I will listen to it at other times of the year, but this is that's kind of usually when it occurs to me to put it on. But it is, it, uh, John Lewis, was it Lily Allen covered it as the, um, for the John Lewis advert? I'm pretty sure it was. Some, someone, someone covered it. They, they did a sort of uh, a different version of it for the John Lewis advert. But this version of it, again, it's just one of those tracks where you hear it, you know, it's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it, it kind of, it sounds like what being in love sounds like, you know, it really is a, a, a powerful song. It's kind of almost got like a hymn-like quality to it. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, it's, and it, it's haunting, it's, you know. It's, yeah. It's evocative. It really does stir up some sort of emotions in you every time you hear it. So. Yeah, whereas the, the other singles were very deliberately provocative. This yes. was more of a, a softer, more... Straightforward. Yeah, but a empathetic kind of... It's just a love song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah but it's a, it's a kind of straightforward, but you're absolutely right. It has a haunting quality. You know, it's it makes you feel a bit funny. I think, you know, which is sort of uh, what, a, what a good song should do. And that is to coin Andrew Weatherall, you know, he talks about the sort of hearing the first ever song he heard that made him feel a bit funny. And this is one of those for me. I can remember hearing it and being like, I don't know what that's just made me feel like, but um, I quite liked it. Um, and it's the, it's the power of love. So that's Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Who are we listening to next? So uh, next up, we have The Clash. Um, I can't profess to have been like, they're not a massive part of my life by any stretch of the imagination. Again, I probably got into them around that sort of time of about 95, 90, sort of six, where I was going to the Heavenly Social. And it just, you know, this track and others um, seem to get played loads at that time. Um, but since then, I've kind of watched various uh, Julian Temple films and I've got all their albums and, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan, definitely. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Julian Temple sort of Clash films. There's The Future Is Unwritten about Joe Strummer. Um, I've not seen that, but what's what's the film that they did that was mainly about the, the roadie? Kind of a tragic... So, like, it, it, it was all centred around the, the Clash tour and it was kind of... Very, very yeah, realistic. Oh, is it a rude boy or something like that? Or, um, and it, and it, but it was mainly about this sort of loser. It's rude boy that is a this film about Trojan Records that came out. I know exactly what you I know exactly the film you mean, and I'm, it's annoying me that I can't think of it now. Anyway, um, but there's that, and there's also one called Two Sevens Clash, which was about a film they did. Um, I think it's, I can't remember where it is, but um, on New Year's Eve, sort of going into 1977 or coming out of 1977, there's big sort of a significance in Rastafarianism, uh, but 
that, that I, I think there's some sort of prophecy about the world ending in 1977 or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, you know, very cool and sort of when you kind of read up on them. I've seen Mick Jones actually a couple of times. I queued behind him for a piss at Wembley. Um, <laughs> what a clue to be. I know, and I also saw him walking down Portobello Road once. He's kind of one of those people where he's sort of where he's a bit older and he dresses kind of uh, like a, you know, it's very well turned out, kind of tonic suit, yeah. white shirt, pair of brogues, quite a sort of meek and unassuming sort of guy. And I was just like, oh, is that one of my dad's friends? And then I was like, yeah, where, where do I know that face from? It's Mick Jones. Um, I think he's kind of in a group of people where I'm just like, I'd rather have just sort of, I don't know what I'd have to say to Mick Jones particularly. Like, All right, mate, do you want a selfie or anything like that? I'm totally not opposed, as you probably might have seen on my Instagram. I don't mind sort of having a picture with someone, but there are uh, there are people that I think sometimes you just they're almost like, otherworldly. You, you don't want to burst that bubble and, and yeah, yeah. And you get the feeling that I don't know whether it'd be something he'd be delighted about being asked. I find as a, as as like a as like a, a newer stand-up, um, there's so many people that you just end up being on a bill with, and you'd be like, "Oh, I would love to get a photo with him," but it's not cool to ask, so I can. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. it's just one of those. Um, all right, so yes, I saw him, and this, and this tune to me, and again, this kind of fits into another. Um, it's a sort of subgenre, which is kind of like uplifting breakup songs. Um, I recently discovered, actually listened to another podcast that this song was written about Viv Alverty, um, who was in The Slits, who's written a couple of fantastic um, autobiographies. And she kind of dated Mick Jones, which I did know, but I didn't realise this song was written about her. And the Train in Vain reference is basically, he used to get the train out to Cockfosters where she lived and kind of she wasn't interested hence train in vain but um, right. you know it's a brilliant you know they, they used to drop this at the social and it would be a, this would always be one where people would be sort of like it's a, it's a really upbeat tune i mean like so before you before you know anything about the clash in detail you you know you hear that the clash with this punk band That's, yeah you know, they get they get sort of bannered underneath that label and then you listen to the material and go well, this, this isn't what my perception of punk is necessarily. No, well, there's a huge reggae influence with them. You know, obviously they've got yeah. quite a few sort of uh, covered police and thieves by Junior Mervyn and kind of Guns of Brixton has that sort of dubby bass, which kind of some, if some listeners don't know, that's the, the bass line that they used in that Beats International dubby good to me. Yeah. Um, you know, but yes, they definitely kind of, not what you would call punk ethos, but musically there was um, a bit more going on there. They weren't they weren't kind of like a stiff little fingers or or you know the damned or whatever. They definitely yeah. a bit more of a sort of mixing pot. Right. So this is this is train in vain. Right, so, moving on from The Clash, who's up next? Moving on from The Clash, we have The Verve. Uh, again, I think just just with this being a bit more of a potted sort of musical history for me, it would have been possible to leave this band out. And the reason I've gone for this song, I mean, they're incredible. Urban Hymns, 
that, that, that's an album that I'll kind of go back to maybe sort of once, not even once a year, maybe once every 18 months to two years, I'll stick that on and just be blown away again by how good, how good it was and how popular it was. You know, you're talking about albums that were number one mm-hmm. for, for, for weeks when getting to number one wasn't like whatever it is now, selling 10,000 records or whatever. This is yeah. like selling shifting big units. Um, and it's just an absolute masterpiece. I love it still to this day. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic. I went actually, I was very lucky. I went to see their um, gig, their homecoming gig at, in Wigan at Hate Hall, which was shown uh, that night. They put it out on BBC One, I think. I mean, that's again, testament. It was like Saturday night. Might have been a Sunday actually. Again, my memory's slightly hazy, but whenever it was, they put it out. I can remember the gig was amazing as well. Um, they had big screens up, so Beck were on. Who else was supporting? Can't remember, but I know Beck were on. And either side of the stage, as they often do, they had these two big video screens. And in between bands, they were kind of showing. Someone had obviously kind of cottoned onto the fact that people were jumping over the fence onto the top of the portaloos and getting in. Right. So between bands, who was ever in charge of like the camera there was just turning it round. So the crowd were just watching people like, and as they sort of got in, every time a new person got in, it's like, (laughs) just such a moment, you know, you look back on that and go, God, that was brilliant. Um, And I can remember History, which was another one of my huge, one of my favourite sort of Verve songs. Um, And it had, you know, it's a breakup song. I'm sure you know it. And uh, his ex-girlfriend had obviously spoken to the, the Wigan press, whatever it is, the Herald, the Gazette, um, talking about how that song had been written about her. And I can remember Ashcroft, like his introduction to that song, saying, this is about me, this ain't about fucking you, this is <laughs> He's, I mean, he's a, he's a proper rock star, man. Yeah. Like, he, he's, he's just got it, hasn't he? He's got it in spades. It was funny, actually. So last, not last summer, uh, so 2018, I went to see Liam Gallagher at Finsbury Park. And um, he he was not Bill. He was actually supporting Roger Waters the following week at Hyde Park, which I was also going to. And he come out Ashcroft at that Liam gig and did four tracks. A lot of people say that it was, his set was better than Liam's. I'm not sure about that, but it was uh, it was amazing people were losing their minds, wasn't billed, four tracks came on. Conversely, the following week I saw Roger Waters at Hyde Park and it wasn't his audience and the crowd just did not go for it at all and he was not at all happy. It was, uh... Yeah, he's, uh, I, I think Ash got, he, he's a great guest vocalist on things. Yes. Like uh, yeah. Acid Test with the Chemical Brothers. Chemical Brothers yeah, like that. that one with Uncle as well. What was that one called? Uh, oh. Oh, you've stumped me. Oh, man, that's going to annoy me as well. Lonely Souls, that's what it's called. That's it. Yeah. He's, he's brilliant. Um, and I, the reason that I've picked this song, I, I also like On Your Own. Um, I really like that album, uh, Northern Soul, which I think is their second album. Um, but this track, to my knowledge, the first time anyone really sort of saw or heard it, they closed Glastonbury with it which uh, I wasn't at it that year, but I was watching it on BBC and this, and they, they played this as their last song, which was, for all intents and purposes at, at, at the time, a new song. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, holy shit. They'd split up. This was the last time it was from the album Fourth, which 
obviously their fourth album and they got back together and it's just uh, uh, I think it's brilliant it's a, such a big tune um, it's one of them when you sort of it comes on your kind of headphones when you're walking down the street puts a bit more sort of bounce in your stride it's a real kind of like fist pumping I, I like it more now than I did then because right. this tune because I, like, I, I didn't go all in on, on the bar at the time because when it was released I was into sort of like heavier rock music yeah um, but but uh, songs like um Sweet Symphony were like undeniable. Yeah, yeah. So you had you, you had to give them credit. And then when this track came out, I don't know because I because I had my favourites, and this yeah. was a little bit of a departure from that kind of slightly. It, it's more upbeat. It's not anthemic in the same way as like Bittersweet Symphony or uh, Drugs Don't Work. Yeah, you know that's that was quite a melancholic album for the most part and then but listening to it now I like it more I don't understand what have you seen the video of him or did you watch at the time of them doing it at Glastonbury no but I'll, I'll, I'm going to oh man watch that it's 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 absolutely extraordinary it's just uh, I mean he's it is someone you know, to coin a stand-up phrase, ripping the guts out of Glastonbury. It's just, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's some, something else. Um, and yeah, the song is Love Is Noise by The Verb. So following on from the Verve, your next track is by? So my next track um, is by the Jungle Brothers. And again, this is this really is just a, a track that takes me back to a place in time, which was kind of 14, 15, um, smoking, smoking dope in my friend's bedroom. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, I was into sort of Hawkwind and all this sort of stuff. And then um, my friends who, uh, you know, I'm still friend, very much friends with today, they were all kind of b-boys all sort of into graffiti and hip-hop and kind of dressing in that way and we kind of became friends through a, a love of smoking, smoking weed as, uh, as as we did at that time and um so you, you we'd be going around there and it was this is the sort of stuff that was playing there was a lot of british hip-hop um did you uh, 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 did you, did you don't, not want me to mention other acts no go for it so, so yeah, it was just kind of a lot of sort of British hip hop they're into, like, um, sort of bands like Hijack, Gunshot, um, and um, Caveman. I think they were sort of um, Young MC. I, I, I think is is British, but like, like I've got my eyes open to a lot of sort of music through um, these people and this album. Um, which is an album called Done by the Forces of Nature by Jungle Brothers. I don't know if, if it's something you'd heard before or whether, whether you've listened to it. I've heard bits, bits of it. Um, like, I, I, I am a hip-hop fan, but my, my yeah. name hip-hop is based on the snippets that I heard um, primarily through skateboarding. 
Um, right. So like from 97 onwards, I was a skateboarder. Okay. And the videos that come out from the various teams, yes. uh, it was either West Coast punk rock or it was hip hop. There wasn't much yeah. between the two. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff that you would get would be very sort of funk loop driven and a little bit was a little bit more upbeat and optimistic compared to some of the the rap that comes out of the east coast so i was aware of the jungle brothers but like i was more like tripod quest and de la soul yeah which i think this would kind of fit into that you know what they call it sort of daisy age kind of hip-hop this is not quite that but it's not it's, it's definitely in that sort of area and it's a brilliant album, it really is. It's sort of, it kind of reminds me of, yeah, I guess sort of 1989, I'd say, the summer, people wearing kind of like purple hooded tops. And it was just when, yeah, kind of people were coming together through that. It was raving had sort of started. And so my friends that were sort of B-boys and then my other friends that were kind of more into sort of what I suppose you would deem sort of more hippie-ish stuff like Hawkwind and Osric Tentacles I don't know if you remember them they were all sort of coming together um, and then it was sort of house music I guess ultimately that became the the thing that everyone sort of listened to but but before that this album I really uh Again, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that is a snapshot of a moment for me. It really takes me back to the time when I was listening to it. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, it still sounds amazing when I listen to it now. Um, and this track, I think it's the opening track on the album, actually. It's, it's, it's called Beyond This World. So the next track um, is by Death in Vegas, um, and this is from the album called The Contino Sessions, which was a big, big album for me. Um, and um, this is when I was running the bar in Islington. We used this, I used to play this all the time, loved it. A, a friend of mine actually played bass in Death in Vegas, so I sort of got, right. to go to, yeah, got to go and see them a lot at this time. I remember going to see them at the Astoria one Saturday afternoon. They were doing a gig that was going to be linked up live to Tokyo. They were really big in in, in Japan, and um, yeah, this this album was the sort of first kind of album that they did where they had a lot of guest vocalists on it. I think Bobby Gillespie did a track. They had Iggy Pop on there. The track that I'm talking about uh, featured uh, Richard Fearless, who was the main guy, his then girlfriend, Dot Allison, um, who, uh, uh, yeah, this again, this is, I think this is a quite a haunting track, really good. It's a bit like Stairway to Heaven in the way that it grows, you know, it kind of starts off and it just builds. It's a sort of kind of almost a sort of song in three parts. It's sort of like just a couple of instruments to start with. It reminds me a little bit of, um, have you seen uh, Stop Making Sense, the live Talking Heads film? Yeah. Where it just starts off with uh, bass. What track is it? Oh God, no, you're asking. It might be Psycho Killer. Anyway, but it's kind of got that quality where it starts off quite stripped back. And then by the end, it's just sort of like, yeah, it's an absolute beast of a song. Um, it's, I guess, sort of leaning towards gothic in a way. Right. Certainly the kind of 
imagery that they used, the sort of artwork of the album, it, I, I associate it with kind of black and red, um, which are the colours that they use for the album artwork. It's definitely got that sort of um, slightly gothy quality to it. Again, just a brilliant band. They've done some great tunes. They did a track with Liam Gallagher, actually, Scorpio Rising. Um, and they sort of operate in that kind of, I guess you'd say indie dance crossover. Yeah, because there's like... Sort of primal Scream, there's, kind of there's, chemical... There's, there's shades of DJ Shadow and Uncle in, in like the, the rhythm of it, but really beautiful instrumentation, lots of strings in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the first time I was aware of them was the the Liam Gallagher Scorpio Rising trap because the video yeah. was really striking with the two samurais. Yes, that's and, right. Yeah, and but but then you get the album and you hear uh, all these other sort of guest vocalists and it was just so beautifully done. Yeah, they did stuff with Hope Sandoval from Mazzy Star. Um, I think Weather did a track with them. There's some sort of more psychedelic stuff, some more I suppose you would deem dubby stuff quite dark music in part, some more kind of light and joyful stuff. Um, brilliant. This, I mean, this song uh, for me is a, is, a, is an absolute classic. I think it was used on an advert. It might have been a car advert, actually. I think that's where a lot of people would know it from, but it's a great, great tune and it's Dirge. Death in Vegas, we come to your, your last track, mate. Um, so, who's this by? This is by The Libertines. Um, and again, a big band for me. Um, what, saw, saw them a lot, saw them very early, saw them when they did their first tour before the first album came out in a pub in Southampton. Um, there was about 20 people there, just and then kind of saw them in various pubs and stuff were very much, I was very ready for this band when they when they came along, the Libertines. And I think their first two albums are just brilliant. Again, you know, they kind of sort of changed the way people dressed at the time. They're, 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 to me, they're one of those bands like Oasis where there are a lot of bands that started because of this band. Yeah, and so, because the cultural impact at that point is undeniable. They're the ones who kind of turned the tide and pointed the scene in a different direction. Yeah, I think the Strokes came sort of came out just before them uh, or, you know, released their, their album just before them. But then, I mean, to me, they're just... And they, they had everything. They had that kind of... They had their, their own world, Albion, that they sort of created, the kind of mythology. Obviously, the, the tabloid stuff that went with it, which didn't hurt, let's face it, at the time, you know, the kind of supermodel girlfriends, the drug addiction, it was, uh, you know, and I think they were, for me, the last band of that kind where kind of hedonism was almost like a PhD. You know, I think kind of nowadays, it's not, not that it's big or clever, but it, I don't think, I think at that time, people bought into that sort of thing. They were the last band for whom people bought into that yeah. I think Pete Doherty for me is the kind of last 
great rock star. I mean, I know it's sort of not good to be kind of glamorizing that sort of stuff, but there is something to that, you know. He, he, I mean, he looked incredible. He, 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 he lived the life, like he 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 did he, he kind of meant it. You know, I know people sort of say, oh, he's from a kind of middle class background or whatever, but he kind of transcended that. I think it was sort of, uh, you know, he, he, he looked amazing. You know, at his best, he sounded amazing, vulnerable, kind of, you know, a, a, aggressive, fl a flawed, um, a flawed genius, I suppose, really. Yeah. It was either a collaboration or it was a solo track. Uh, this is for lovers that he did. Yeah, him and Wolfman, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. And obviously Libertines, you know, sort of broke up and got back together and broke up and got back together. And it's, it's something I've said before. I think when the um, the dynamic and the relationship in the band is tense uh, and fractious, there's something about that tension that creates amazing music. Yeah, well, I think that can't stand me now. I don't know, again, and this is another, I think for me, a classic, when they, they, they performed it on Jonathan Ross, um, and it, I think it was their first TV appearance since Pete got out of prison. And it's, I mean, it's so raw. It's, it's, it's a magnificent performance of this song. And um, I don't know whether Carl said it, but it is. It's definitely got uh, that "We Can Work It Out," you know, the Beatles song, which is kind of basically an argument between John and Paul. And yeah. I think that I think you're absolutely right. The chemistry between those two. When you saw, I don't know if you've ever seen them live, but I mean, again, I've seen their band. I've seen a lot. I mean, I saw them be truly awful there was a couple of times it was a sort of one year i forget what year it was but i sort of saw them at brixton academy maybe twice that year it's this is crap but no, i tell you what when when they're good which they i mean now it was only there was just a there was just a very brief period where they just I, I, for me i just didn't think they were they were that great and then i, I, mean, I think it, it, was, it was almost brotherly like when they were good they were amazing oh, they love each other yeah there's no question about that but they hate each other's guts at times. Oh, yeah, I, it's brilliant. You know, you, how often do you, do you see that Liam and Noel? You know, the, the Davies brothers in the Kinks, I guess. The yeah. sort of uh, Lennon and McCartney. I mean, I can't think. To me, they were the last. They were in that kind of rock and roll tradition. You know, I don't know much about kind of hip-hop really there probably are there is probably an equivalent there that i'm not aware of outcast outcast two people who are living in each other's pockets and yeah like so connected for so so much time and then thrown under a microscope when they got absolutely massive yeah just broke apart well that's a shame are they not together now i saw them at festival actually outcast yeah uh, well i think I mean, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not an expert, but I think the last album that came out was actually a double disc, which was one guy's album and the other guy's album. They kind of put it out together, yeah. and that's where Andre 3000 went more, more melodic and poppy, and yes. you know, songs and big boys. I like some of their poppier stuff, though. I think, yeah. Oh well, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's loads of fun, but it, it, it was very much this is what this guy's doing, and this yeah. is what the other guy is doing. Um, yeah. 
terrible shame, and you, you know, and you hope that they they uh, they get it, they sort it out at some point. But you, you never know. Sometimes those, these things can't be repaired. Like um, Tranquil Quest is another good example. Yeah. Uh, Fife and Q-Tip, just like they grew up together, they were virtually brothers, and there was a point when they 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 almost came close. Did you ever see the documentary Beach Rhymes in Life? No. You have got to watch it, mate. Oh yeah, it's amazing. I'm making note of that. I love a I love a good music documentary. Really good, flying the wall stuff, and it goes through how close they were, the whole history, and it shows how fractious it is towards the end. Um, oh, I am making a note of that as we speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could have chosen pretty much any track from their first two albums because they were, you know, they were big albums for me at the time. I was kind of, and I was living, it was again for me, the weird one was because obviously so Oasis came out of Manchester and there was a sort of, there was a definite musical sort of heritage that I bought into. There was a definite sort of, I got them in a way closed you know the the music that came before them i you know they no particularly was kind of into and has worked with gone on to work with people like david holmes as i say weatherall's remixed him so i feel like there was a sensibility that i got i was like oh this band you know like they but with the libertines they were working in a bar that was just around the corner from the bar that i was working in you know carl barrett is from just up the road from me it was like these actually are people that I feel like I could, rightly or wrongly, they might have thought I was a dick, but uh, you know, I kind of feel like if we'd have worked together, we would have probably been friends. Yeah. Um, and actually, I mean, I won't go into this, it's quite a long story, but they actually came to a gig uh, at the end of last year and I, and, and I did end up sort of hanging out with them. And they asked me, well, Pete asked me to go on and do a bit before them in Birmingham last year. <laughs> I went on. I remember seeing something about that. Yeah. Just before I, I went on, just before them at the, at the Birmingham Academy, at their request, and uh, it was quite clear. So I went on, and I was like, "Who's up for the Libertines?" And everyone cheered, and I was like, "Oh, the boys have asked me to come out and do some stand-up." Boo! <laughs> so, uh, which I think is a better story, but um, yeah. So it was quite a, uh, it was quite a mad weekend. The reason that I've chosen this song, a, it, I think it's incredible. It's tender. It's lovely. Beautiful, uh, but it's also another um, example of uh, a band that have been going for what the nearly best part of two decades, and I think this is some of their greatest uh, work. Love it! It's uh, "You're My Waterloo." Amazing. Well, look. Um... This has been loads of fun, man. I knew this was going to be a good chat. I knew it. The second I was made up when you said you were up for doing it, um, but like I, I knew it was going to be a good conversation, uh, and especially so when you sent me the full list. Um, but if uh, do you want do you want to tell the, the listener best place to find you and what you do? Well, when uh, if you're listening to this and comedy clubs are now uh, a going concern again, I playing uh, all the sort of big comedy clubs around the country. Um, I do my own podcast with Sean Walsh called What's Upset You Now? And uh, you can find me on YouTube and all that sort of stuff, social media. Amazing. And, uh, you can see it at a gig sometime. So that concludes this week's episode. We've deliberately kept the music played below the conversation because we believe that all musicians should be paid something for what they do. 
So if you'd like to listen to the mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the links in the show notes of this episode. Or you can find and follow the Facebook page Mixtapes with Mike and I'll share those links on the post that announces this episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media with anyone you think would enjoy it. It would mean even more if you would leave us a positive review on iTunes as that will help us reach a larger audience. But in the meantime, I'll see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.